All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Great to see you this morning. My name is Josh. I am the campus pastor here at CVC Brunswick. And if you are new, I would love to meet you after the service. I'll be in the back. I'd love to just get your name and uh, hear if there's any way we can serve you um, and get you connected here uh, to the CVC. Hey, before we begin our time of studying God's Word, I want to just give you kind of an update on our COVID uh, protocols. Um, if you were on our email list or had kids in the kids' ministry last week, you probably all are aware of this, but we had some COVID exposure in the kids' ministry last week. So out of an abundance of caution, we just pushed pause on CVC Kids Ministry for one week. So next week, all of our kids' ministry will be up and running. All of our leaders will be back in the saddle. We had 46 kids last week, which was really awesome. So we're excited to continue to serve and love on these kids, teach them about Jesus. So, and this, this is also a good opportunity to kind of go, just as a reminder for our COVID policies, you know, you, you, I am as tired of these things as anyone with the mask. But where we're at right now is just we ask folks to, it's like, like a grocery store, wear your mask when you're inside, outside. You know, obviously just uh, you can, you're welcome to take it off. So we don't know how long these policies will be in place, but that's kind of where we're at right now. All right. Well, if you have any uh, questions or anything about what I just said, please reach out, email us. We'd love to um, uh, answer any of those questions. I'm going to pray and then we'll jump into Psalm 62. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are wonderful. You are delightful. Your presence is sweet. It is a joy. Lord, thank you that in you our souls can be satisfied. Lord, I pray as we look at your word today, that will marinate into our hearts, that we will uh, be with you so much that your love and joy seep into our hearts. Your light shines into the dark places. So Lord, this morning as we look at Psalm 62 about the waiting soul, would you help us to anchor our hearts more deeply in who you are? And we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to ask you a question. I really need you to think about this because this will, this will be a question you go back to throughout this message. The question is this. What is your soul waiting for? Like, what is your soul longing for? When you say, hey, if, if this can happen, if this would happen in my life, then I would have joy I would have peace. I would have rest. My life would be okay. What is that that you are waiting on? I think every one of us has something like this that we think, hey, if this happens, that would satisfy my soul. And maybe you're a high school student. Maybe it's graduation. If I could just graduate and go to college, I would be satisfied. Maybe you're a young adult. You think, hey, if I could just get that cute boyfriend, that cute girlfriend, maybe I could land that job, if I could get married. Maybe you're in the trades and you think, man, if I could just be vested in the union, then everything will be just fine. Maybe you're a parent and you think, if my child could just get into that school, then that, that will prove that I did a good job as a parent. Maybe it's when I retire, uh, when I get through this health issue, when my relationship is restored. You know, maybe it's when I hit it big on one of those lotto scratchers, right? You go to the gas station, gas station for whatever it is. What is it that you say, if this would happen, 
then I would be satisfied. Well, this morning, we are going to look at Psalm 62. And the psalmist assesses those things that we're waiting for. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to ask ourselves four questions to assess if the thing we're waiting for will truly satisfy our souls. Because if it won't truly satisfy our souls, then we need to reorient our lives to what truly will satisfy. So these are the four questions. One, how long will it last? Two, can I rest in it? Three, can it do what I hope it will do? And four, what happens when I fail it? All right, well, let's look at Psalm 62. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn there. It'll, all the scripture will be on the screen so that we can all follow along together. So the title of this message is The Waiting Soul. So we'll start in verse 1 of Psalm 62. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. <clears throat> so the question we're asking ourselves is, will what I'm waiting for satisfy my soul? Well, here's the first question that we can use to assess. It is, number one, how long will it last? So there are a lot of things that the writer of this Psalms could put his trust in, but he says God alone is worthy of our trust. God alone is our salvation, our fortress, our hope, our glory, our rock, and our refuge. The psalmist is saying that there is no substitute for God. He cannot be replicated. He cannot be on equal footing. God alone is stable. God alone is strong. And God alone is a durable source to put our hopes in. Because God alone will last forever. You know, we see the psalmist, he's comparing God to a fortress, a mountain, a refuge. You know, um, in the writing of this psalm, Mountains and physical, uh, uh, you know, aspects, rivers and mountains and valleys, they just were. Right? There was no changing these things around. Now, we have dynamite and we have earth-moving equipment. So we can kind of move mountains around and we can dig a hole through them. But during the writing of this psalm, you didn't move a mountain. You moved your path because mountains were permanent. They were stable. And he is comparing God to a permanent mountain. And he's begging us to ask this question. How long will this thing you're hoping for last? How long will this relationship or this job or this position or this house or this health, how long 
Will it last? Will it never break down? Will it never move away? Will it never die? Will it never divorce you? It reminded me of Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 16th century. He wrote, a mighty fortress is our God. And even if maybe you don't have a church background with hymns, you probably are familiar with this hymn. It was written about 1527 during one of the darkest seasons of Martin Luther's life. His six-month-old daughter had just died. One of his close friends were murdered because of his belief in Jesus. It was a time when the plague was surgent in this area of Germany that he lived. And Luther wrote these words at the beginning of his hymn. He said, a mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he, amid a flood of mortal ills, he prevailing. That thing you trust in, <laughs> that thing you're waiting for, can you truly call it your mighty fortress? Is it a bulwark never failing? Will it prevail no matter what torrent breaks upon your life? See, we are eternal beings. So only what is eternal will satisfy our souls. All right, the first question, how long will it last? The second question, can I rest in it? Look, look at me at verse 7. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him all, at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. So God is described as a refuge. You see, a fortress is a place of protection. A refuge is a place of peace. A fortress is a place to resist. A refuge is a place to rest. And the writer highlights two aspects that, uh, of how God is our refuge. He is our relational refuge. The psalmist says God is our glory. What does that mean? That means that from God, comes a durable, um, a, a uh, restful place where no matter what goes on around you, God speaks to you and says, you are valuable, you are worthy, you are loved, you are protected. Because in God alone is that permanent. Like you, you look at... Uh, social status, one of the two great desires of our culture. We see um, how important social media is to the lives of young people and older people alike. And what is social media? It's not a place to earn money. It's not a place to get food. It's, a, it's simply a way to assess how we are in our status, in our, in our society. Are we important or are we unimportant? Did I get a lot of likes or did I get no likes? What the psalmist here is saying is that no matter how important or unimportant you are, you can rest in God. He is your source of value. He is your source of beauty. He is your source of eternal peace because only in God can we rest. He's our a relational refuge. He's also our emotional refuge. It says we are to pour out our hearts to God. 
you know, I, I was having a difficult time on Thursday, and I went to a close, uh, a, a close family member of mine. I kind of just wanted to pour out my heart and gripe. And it was clear that this family member was like, uh, I, can't, I don't have time for this, Josh. Are you done yet? Right? And that's understandable because we're all limited. Our emotions are limited, but not God. We can go to God and have a refuge where we can pour out our hearts to God and he's never going to be like, oh, hey, hey, I got to go. He can take it. He can take it because he's eternal. God alone can we find rest. So here's a question for you. Can you rest in what you're hoping for? Will it cause your soul to be at peace, to be at rest? Or will it just be another source of anxiety and fear? Do you have to work hard to keep this thing that your soul is waiting for? Are you constantly at risk of losing it? You know, one of those things that many people are waiting for is marriage. Gallup says that only 5% of Americans um, are, do not want to be married, but only 54% of Americans are married. And I, I know from personal experience of many uh, young people I speak to, that's a big thing if, uh, as a single person. It's a big, big thing, no matter what age. And I've had the privilege of doing dozens of weddings uh, here at CVC of young couples. Um, they lo- know each uh, love the Lord and meet and get engaged. And it's just a treat to walk with them in marriage. And many of these couples, they rest in their relationship. It's a sturdy, stable relationship. And that's a good thing. <laughs> and I think an outcome of their resting in this relationship is, uh, how, how should I say this? Um, the, the gym membership lapses. Um, uh, the, uh, where, where the face was once nice, smoothly shaven, starts to get a little more scruffy, right? Those... Uh, those uh, uh, well-ironed shirts uh, now have a few more creases. And those, those cute leggings she used to wear on our hikes, now they're those uh, Costco sweatpants. <laughs> she, you know, and that's okay. I mean, couples, uh, they rest in, in their relationship. You know, I've seen that in my own life. You know, I, um, you can ask Deborah, my wife, uh, when we got married, I was no physical specimen, okay? Um, but I, I exercised, had a gym membership, and I felt like I was like, Skinny, strong, if you know what I mean. But after nine years of marriage, like I feel a lot like a a rod of iron and more like a breadstick, kind of squishy in the middle, right? It's partly because I can rest in my relationship with Deborah. But here's the thing. Here's the thing I've been thinking about. As much as I I love my wife and we're happily married and um, just thankful to the Lord for her, The reality is one day, either I will stand over her casket or she will stand over mine. And an ideal situation for us is that we are married for a long, long, long time. And maybe we care for one another in older age. But one day that relationship will go away. And one day there's going to be a loneliness. And I will feel like, and even speaking to those I know who've lost a spouse, there's, they almost feel like they can't be at rest without that other person. 
So here's the question I have for you. That thing you're wanting for, waiting for, the thing you're wanting to satisfy your soul, will it last and can you rest in it? Can you rest in your job? Or do you have to have another great quarter? Can you rest in your relationship? Or do you have to worry about this person finding somebody else? Can you rest in your finances, your popularity, your status, your health? See, if you're waiting for something that will always require something from you, that can't satisfy your soul. Third question is this. Can it do what I hope it will do? Look at me at verse 9. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. The psalmist is talking about, it doesn't matter if you're someone who everyone knows or someone no, no one knows. We are all equal in our mortality. I don't care if you're a model, you're a professional athlete, no one looks good in a hospital bed. Keep reading. Verse 10. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Look, money's good for, if you use it for good purposes. But if we set our heart on money, then our souls will not be satisfied. They will wither. Because you've read the studies that say how much money, you, 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 you survey thousands of people, how much money do you need to be satisfied? You know what they all say? About 10 to 20 more, 10 to 20 percent more across the board. Money will not satisfy. It, it, it cannot do what we hope it will. So where does the psalmist go for satisfaction? What will the psalmist wait patiently for? Verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. Now, verse 11 through 12 sums up the crux of Old Testament theology about God. It's this, God is a God of power and of love. And these two aspects, power and love, are necessary for God to be God. As one commentator says, In the union of power and steadfast love, the essence of the Old Testament faith in God lies summed up. Four, power without mercy does not beget confidence. And mercy without power is devoid of sincerity. You know, what this, you know what this verse means? It means God is strong enough to be able to do it, but he's also loving enough to want to do it. If God was only power, why would God do anything with and for us? If God was only love, why would he be able to do everything for us? But since God is both power and love. He is able and he will satisfy our souls. 
God won't let us down. God will deliver us. So whatever we were hoping in, go back to that, that item that you've thought about. Can it do what I hope it will? Is it powerful enough to do it? Are, are you hoping in that money will alleviate your insecurity? Can it really do that? Are you hoping a child will give you a purpose in life? Are you hoping that a cute boyfriend or a cute girlfriend will show that you are valuable? Are you hoping that this position will show your dad or your mom that they should be proud of you or they should have never left? Look, we put too much hope on too many things that can never hold up to that much weight. So here's the final question. What happens when I fail? So we've got four questions. How long will it last? Can I rest in it? Can it do what I hope it will do? These are questions we're asking of it. Now we have to ask ourselves, what happens when I fail it? And this question is overlaid into the entire Psalms. See, what happens when, you have to ask the question. So that, say you're, uh, the big thing is a relationship. Man, if this relationship could be restored, if this relationship could be present, then my soul would be satisfied. And that's, okay, okay. And maybe you've answered all three of these questions. Yes, if I had that, I would be satisfied. If I did, it'll last forever. I know it will. And, but we all know ourselves. And we know at some point, we will fail others. We will, if we're in a relationship, we will fail someone else. We will fail our spouse. We will fail our children. We will fail our boss. We will fail the community. So what happens when we fail that other person? Well, that's why verse 11, the second half, is so, so important. Because if we begin to dial back and we think of our relationship with God, now clearly the psalmist says, God alone will satisfy. But look with me back at verse 11. It says that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. This word, stead, these words, steadfast love, it's actually one word in the original Hebrew. It's the word chesed. And it's one of the most important words in the entire Bible. Hesed is what we call covenantal love. So if you're in a relationship, there are basically two forms of relationship. There's a contractual relationship, and then there's a covenantal relationship. Now, most relationships function as a contractual relationship. And a contractual relationship says this, you do your part, and I'll do my part. Okay, if you don't do your part, I won't do my part, we're all get out of this relationship altogether. And, you know, your doctor, your boss, uh, a politician, you know, most relationships that we operate of need to be contractual relationships. But there's a second type of relationship. It's called a covenantal relationship. And it says this, a covenant says, I choose to bind myself to you. 
so that if you don't do your end of the bargain, I'll still do my end. No matter what you do, I will pursue your good to the end. And the most important relationships are covenantal relationships. They are most uh, commonly seen in a marriage and in a parent-child relationship. And you know, if you've experienced heartbreak in these areas, that everything else in your life could be going great. But if those covenantal relationships aren't going great, nothing else is. See, in the Old Testament, God gave humanity the law to live by, but humanity rejected God's law. They turned their back on God. They shook their fist at God. So the result is that because of humanity's sin, we gave God two options. The first option is he could keep us in a contractual relationship. That means he would punish us and break a relationship that we would have with God, thus cutting off any source of the satisfaction for our souls. That was one option. The second option is that he would turn our relationship into a covenant. Now you know that covenantal relationships are costly. If you get married, that means you are forsaking all others. If you have a child, especially you women, you are literally giving your body over so this child can live. In order for God to develop a covenantal relationship with us, in order for us to have a pathway to satisfy our souls, God had to give over the most costly thing he could possibly give, and that was himself. See, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay for where we had broken the contract. God paid for it through the blood of Jesus Christ so that the relationship is now a covenantal relationship. That God offers himself to us. That all we have to do is enter into this relationship and our souls will be satisfied. That we have the spigot with which the love of God would be poured upon us to quench our soul thirsts and to satisfy our, whole, our soul hungers. And that is only possible because God loves us so much to send his son, Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, our souls will never be satisfied. You could have the kingdoms of this world you could have the most beautiful body, the most healthy relationships, but after all is said and done, your heart will still hunger. So let's apply God's love to those four questions we talked about earlier. How long will God's love last? For eternity. Can I rest in God's love? Augustine said this, God, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until we find rest in thee. Can God's love do what I hope it will do? Ephesians 3.20 says, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask 
or think, and what happens when I fail God? Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Look, if you have never had a true fortress, a true refuge, a truly satisfied soul, God offers that to you in Jesus Christ. Trust in him. Trust that he alone will satisfy your soul. Now, if I was in the, in the seats, uh, now, I, this is what would be coming to my mind. Say, Josh, I hear you there, but what about all these really good things in my life? What about the job? I really feel like I'm helping people and doing a good job. What about my relationships? And what about my health? Am I supposed to just disregard these things? And does that mean God's the only valuable thing? No, not at all. Because that would be impossible. All throughout the scriptures, we see God affirming life around us. The way you affirm and appreciate the good things in your life is not to overburden those things. Not to put on them a weight that they cannot bear. And the way that you do not overburden those things is by living a life out of the overflow of your heart. See, when we are filled, when we are satisfied in God, then we have extra we have an abundance that we could go, we can love our neighbor, we can love our children, we can work hard at our job. And even if one day those things fail us, we will still have a satisfied heart. But I tell you, the quickest way to destroy a relationship is put expectations on that person that they should never have. But through Christ, we can live a life out of abundance of love in our heart. And we do that by simply lifting up Jesus. We don't push everything else down. We just push Jesus up in our lives. We sing his praises. We acknowledge his worth. We live and serve out of an abundance of love for God. See, that's why we've been praying this past week. We prayed for five new CVC Kids workers. We're like, Lord, would you do that? And we're still praying for that. But we're praying that people out of the overflow of their heart go, look, I don't really like love working with preschoolers, but you know what? I can give of the abundance. That's how we respond in every aspect of our lives. And you know, one of, the way to, one of the great ways to do that is just meditating on God's word. So every week of this series, we're gonna have a little note card that has a Bible verse on it. This is uh, verse five through seven of the Psalm today. And they're on the back tables as you leave. Grab one of these, put them on your car, put it at your desk, so you can be just, just a meditate and ruminate on God's love that he alone can satisfy your soul. Let's pray. And then our uh, team's got uh, another song for us. Heavenly Father, thank you that in you we can have a satisfied soul. Lord, thank you that through your son Jesus, we don't have to stand in fear of your hammer but we seek to cling to your hand. Father, we don't have to burden our children, our spouse, our job, our appearance, and overburden them with expectations they should not bear. But we can love them out of the overflow of our heart. Would you help us to do that? Father, help us to love our neighbor with that kind of love. 
to pour out our hearts and our love to our neighbor, to share with them the love of Christ so that they would have an experience of your love. So Lord, thank you so much for the privilege of being part of your family, for the privilege of having a satisfied soul in you. And Lord, as we leave today, Lord, would you give us a power to step into those difficult places, knowing that no matter what happens, you are our refuge, our strength, and our satisfaction. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.